remember at the end of last season, I kind of kept calling the Blue Jays paper tigers because they weren't the team on the field that they were on paper. They didn't play to their potential. Justin Turner walks into that clubhouse, and I don't want to critical of their team and who they have because they certainly have some decent veterans, George Springer foremost among them. But you've got an adult walking in the room. And to me, they need a little bit of that juice that they're going to get from him. And it's not that he's a yeller, it's not that he's vocal, but there's a way he goes about his business. And there is a seriousness he brings to his craft. It's how he saved and turned around his career. So in my view, this is a really good signing. They tried to get Jock. Couldn't get job. They wanted left-handed. They're still way right-handed. But Justin Turner hits right-handed pitching. Not like J.D. Martinez necessarily, but he's not going to cost what J.D. Martinez is going to cost. So it's a good deal in my view for the Blue Jays. It's the right guy. At some point, Justin Turner, 39 years old, is going to stop performing. So let's just hope for the Blue Jays' sake it's not this year. Fan Morning Show, Sports 59 of the Fan, Ben Ennis, Brian Gunning. That was Ken Rosenthal on the uh, Justin Turner one-year deal, $13 bucks with the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm very sensitive to talking about 39-year-olds because that's how old I am for, like, another mm. couple of days. I have um, no problem calling you guys old. Yeah. Uh, so I guess just like, you know, coaches and managers can, can get stale, you know, a guy's rings can get stale because, like, George Springer has ring, you know? <laughs> Yeah, singular. Yeah, yeah. it sounds and, weird when you say yeah, it, like and, you're right. He has ring. Yeah, and uh, his World Series MVP. That, but I guess not good enough now. Uh, you need to you needed to bring in a fresh ring. I guess. Yeah. And What's the expiry date on them? Hopefully I, not three years. I, I guess. Uh, Justin Turner, also an NLCS MVP. He is 39 years old. He did play the field a little bit last season. He was above league average offensively even if you remove the Fenway Park factor. And, I mean, this is this is fuel to the narrative fire. A Blue Jays team that very much struggled to come through with big hits in clutch situations last season, despite it not being a repeatable skill. Last season, um, Justin Turner, with two outs and runners in scoring position, had a robust OPS of 1,002. He hit 333 with a 433 on base and a 569 slug. That was only in 51 at bats. But boy, did he come through in a clutch situation last year for the Boston Red Sox. And Blue Jays hoping for more of the same this season. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, well, we like any number in baseball uh, that comes with four digits in it. But yeah, an OPS with four of them, uh, pretty, pretty good. You're, you're happy with that for sure. Time now for our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, Jeff Blair of Blair and Barker. How's it going, Jeff? Hey, good, guys. How are you doing? Good. Uh, thank you for uh, for squeezing um, the, the information out of Bo Bichette of uh, the Blue Jays, <laughs> I guess, plans at, at, at DH. I, I, I don't know what came first. Uh, Boba Shed saying, these are the two guys that I want. And then the Blue Jays saying, well, one guy's going to be cheaper. So we'll go with that guy. <laughs> or, or whether he was like relaying what he had heard from the front office. But it is funny that, you know, a week ago we get Boba Shed on your, on your podcast talking about Justin Turner and like the off the field implications of bringing in a guy like him. And lo and behold, here he is signing a one-year deal. Yeah, it's like Bo Knows or something. Yeah, yeah, you know. you'd, almost, uh, you'd almost think that... Uh, that he was making decisions for the team. Um, you know, I, I, look, other than Shohei Otani and other than Juan Soto, and let's just be clear, the Jays 
do not have the minor league depth to acquire a guy like Juan Soto. There's a reason their farm system is considered to be in, among the bottom six, seven, or fit, five in baseball. Uh, there isn't anybody out there that um, is going to you know, instantly answer all the questions around the team. Uh, honestly, I think everybody in baseball has been saying since the start of the offseason that the Blue Jays were probably going to get somebody like Jorge Soler, somebody like J.D. Martinez, or somebody like Justin Turner. Cody Bellinger was out there, but you know, I, I, I think I think enough people looked at Cody Bellinger, looked at what he wants, looked at who his agent was, and kind of put him lower in the pecking order uh, when, it come to, uh, when it came to the Blue Jays. So, I, I mean, this is the way I look at it. I think... I. Th- I think the Jays need another somebody else besides Justin Turner. I thought that all along. I thought they they needed at least at least uh, at least two hitters, um, somebody who can DH full time, uh, but also somebody who could give you a little balance from the left side. I'm not as you know necessarily as big on that as a lot of other people are, but I, I thought they needed more than just a guy like Justin Turner. I still think they need more than just Justin Turner. And it was interesting hearing you talk about you know, the leadership aspect here. And <sighs> anytime I, I, I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, think about mm. this. When John Tavares signed here, yeah, what were we saying? Finally, they got that guy who's good in the locker room. They got a guy who's going to be the leader. You know, they got a guy who's going to lead by example, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, what happens at the trade deadline every year with the Leafs? They got to get somebody who's going to come in here and be a leader and be a good clubhouse guy or be a good locker room guy. I also covered the Blue Jays when they brought Omar Vizquel in here. He was a disaster. I mean, he 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 cost him he cost himself Hall of Fame votes by how he was in Toronto. I mean, he was just horrible in the clubhouse. Um, you know, he showed up late and yada, yada. So I'm not saying that any of that necessarily applies to Justin Turner. And, and clearly, I think we talked to Rob Bradford yesterday in Blair and Barker, and he, you know, spends his entire season around around the Boston Red Sox. And he was talking about the impact that Justin Turner had in that clubhouse. But I my BS detector always goes up a bit when people start talking about leadership. It really does, because you're right. George Springer's been there and done that. Brandon Belt was supposedly going to be a leader. Matt Chapman was supposedly setting an example on the field. I, I kind of had enough of it. Just get me guys in here who can win. Just win a playoff game for me. I don't care if you've got the world's biggest collection of, of, of knobs and just win a playoff game. Oh, it's always exciting what, what term you're going to use when I could tell you're gearing up for something like that. Knobs, I think, is I pretty... Got close pretty to going, I got close to going a little farther down the alphabet, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm happy you uh, I'm happy you settled there. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, right? Like, if this, if this team does get over the hump to a certain extent this year, maybe we tell a story about Justin Turner and what he meant to these guys, and maybe mm. it's George Springer. But guess what it probably is? It's Vladdy looking a lot more like the almost MVP season Vladdy, and it's both continuing to be great you know there's a lot of talk about the idea of internal improvement on this team I mean 
Vladdy is the most obvious one there. If I remove him, and nobody's doing that, but let's just park him for a second in this conversation, be it a Varsho, be it a Kirk, where do you see the most likely place for internal improvement, Vladdy aside, on this team? Man, I... I mean, I don't. Okay. Maybe it's kind of where I was at, but I wanted to make sure it yeah. wasn't crazy. <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Alejandro Kirk. Yeah. Maybe. Sure. Um, I think Dalton Varsho is what Dalton Varsho is, which is a terrific defender, a guy who's going to hit the odd home run, a guy who's going to be decent on the bases, like, a guy who's probably not going to hurt you. Uh, a good guy to have hitting eighth or ninth in your order, maybe seventh in your order. But beyond that, um, you know, Vladdy's the obvious guy. And and I and I think maybe the most interesting thing here, and you know, let's see how, how free agency plays out the rest of the way. Because if the Jays haven't been able to sign JD Martinez because JD Martinez doesn't want to come to Toronto, and everything we've heard suggests he wants to stay on the West Coast, and he'd probably end up going to to the to the LA Angels if he really wanted. If they haven't been able to sign J.D. Martinez because he wants to stay in the West Coast. That's one thing. If they haven't been able to sign him because he wants a three-year contract from someplace, if they haven't been able to sign Jorge Soler because he wants a three-year contract someplace, then I think you got to dig down a little deeper and ask yourself, what is the front office saying? Mm-hmm. And what they're saying to me is... um. They've already started preparing for life after Bo and Vladdy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not certain that's the wrong thing to do nope. because, look, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who's a bigger fan of Bo Bichette than I am. Vladdy, I don't know. He frustrates the hell out of me, and, and I just I, I need to see him on the field. I don't want to see videos of him working out. Yeah, I don't want to see videos of him hitting softballs to the moon. I, I don't care if he's on the cover of, of the show. I really don't. I want to see Vladdy be something closer to the Vladdy we saw when he was hitting in a minor league ballpark, right? Um, and, and they haven't had any postseason success. So I, if that is what the front office is thinking, uh, then you know I, I think we got to make peace with that. And... They're probably smart to do so because we are getting to that point. You know, next year at this time, we're going to be having a discussion about if this team doesn't contend, what do you do with these dudes at the trade deadline? Or do you trade them one of them in the offseason? Yeah, that's I mean, I, I think if, if things go similarly to the, the way they've gone in the Owen Vlad tenure this upcoming season. I, I think the conversation's already been had, right? Like I sure. I mean, maybe and you don't get your price and maybe you do play it out into the middle of the season and you look at the deadline, but hard to imagine this team being so bad that it's an obvious sell off of those guys at the deadline. But the, yeah, this feels like the year that if it if it you it results in the same thing that you've gotten out of these guys the last half decade, and in, that's nothing, that yeah, you you have to you have to seriously consider you know, cashing in your chips and, and boy, at that point, it's hard not to look at like a hard rebuild with the contractual status of like Kevin Gossman a year beyond that, George Springer a year beyond that, uh, Chris Bassett the same year. Like that, that, that I feel like is very much on the table at the conclusion of this season. Yeah, it has to be. And I know that's going to drive, you know, I can, I can see heads exploding on the gardener right now, but 
Uh, it has to be. Uh, I think we've kind of operated under the assumption all along that the Jays weren't going to be able to sign both of these guys to contracts, Vladdy and Bo I'm talking about, to contracts that would buy out two, three, or even four years of free agency. I, I, you know, I think, I think we, a lot of us kind of reached that conclusion. So, um, if that is indeed the case, and, and I'm sure, listen, I'm sure that at some point this year, the sides will revisit long-term contracts with uh, Vladdy and Bo. You know, Barker doesn't think there's a chance in hell of Bo signing here. Mm. Um, I think the fact that he agreed to a multi-year contract to cover him through arbitration at least gives the Jays a framework when it comes to figuring out how much it will take to keep him, you know, let's say two years into free agency, three years into free agency, it's going to require the biggest contract in club history to do it, clearly. But I would suggest if Bo has another year as he's had last that he had last year and Vladdy is only marginally better than he was last year. I mean, I'll ask you guys, mm. who, who would you who would you gamble on if you had to gamble on on either of them? Who would you pick? I mean, I mean, I'd pick Bo. Bo, yeah, easy. It's not a gamble. Like when he's on the field, exactly. he's Bo Bichette. That's all we've ever seen out of Bo Bichette, right? And, and <clears throat> excuse me, he was hurt at the end of last season, so like the counting stats weren't there. He didn't lead the American League in hits like he had the previous two seasons. Mm-hmm. But he has the third most hits in Major League Baseball over the last three years. And yeah, the defense at times were like, "Ooh, is he a short?" But he keeps proving us wrong. He's certainly playable at that position. No, it's it's clearly Bo Bichette. And I yeah, uh, and I'm just going to jump in too because I yeah. I did something a couple of weeks ago just for giggles. I sat down and I looked at that potential free agent class for Bo and Vladdy. Yeah, and I looked at players who are elite players right now who will be nearing free agency at that point in time. And if you look at and and, and how much they're getting, and if you look at guys like Lindor, Correa, you know, guys that are going to be under contract. If Bo goes into his free agent year having led the AL in hits mm-hmm. at his age, he's yep. young, and he and Vladdy are going in. I, th- I think I did. I think Bo is just will just be barely twenty eight, maybe a little older than twenty seven. Vladdy, this kind of shocks me, given he's part of the furniture. But Vladdy, I believe, will be twenty six yep. or twenty seven. Yeah, you're not you're not going to get those guys for three year contracts at thirty million dollars each. No, nope. you know, you're you're going to be looking at, especially in the case of Bo, given what shortstops make, and and if he can kind of maintain his defensive play right now, you're looking at one of the biggest contracts in the game. Not just the biggest contract in Blue Jays history, but one of the biggest contracts in the game. Okay, so I, I've done like you a lot of thinking about hey, if things don't go so well this season because. You know, there's reasons to believe it might not go so well because they, they made the playoffs and won 89 games a season ago. But, yeah, they didn't really go so well for this Blue Jays team, and they haven't improved. In fact, you know, okay, they they backfilled uh, Brandon Belt, who was at times your most consistent and best hitter with a guy who, I mean, if, if Justin Turner did what Brandon Belt did over, you know, 140 games this season, you'd be ecstatic. You'd be over the moon. Um, but, yeah, he's unlikely to do that at, at, at 39 years old. And, yeah, this team offensively doesn't look a whole lot better but let's let's say it does turn out well like and you know vlad is amazing and the blue jays win 95 games and 
don't know if they win a World Series, but like they 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 show proof of concept with this team, and they're good and winning. So what is the conversation at that point? Like, because then, yeah, you're not doing a hard rebuild. You're you're not, I guess, taking calls on Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at the conclusion of the season. Are you choosing one of those guys to have the extension conversation with, like the yeah, the biggest contract in in Major League Baseball history with like a, a Bo Bichette? Like, what? Let's play out that side of it because I think it's it's almost easy to do the the other side of it because yeah, we we saw it a season ago and they're not not discernibly better in 2024. Yeah, listen, I, I I don't expect the front office to you know, to divulge all the details of it, but I I what have we seen in dialogue with Vladdy that suggests the sides are even close none. to agreeing on a con? None. I mean, they're taking the dude to arbitration for God's sake. Uh, Bo, that's what I said. Bo's contract that provides a structure. You know what Bo's contract says is that. The player, his reps, and the team agreed on his value for three years. That's not nothing, right? That is a pretty significant indication that both sides are on the same page when it comes to what they see in Bo Bichette. They're not there with Vladdy. And, again, frankly, they shouldn't be there with Vladdy. But, you know... I, you need I, – I hate to keep harping on this because it isn't like hockey. It's hard to make the playoffs in baseball. It's supposed to be. Eh, and, I don't know, was and, it hard for and, the Diamondbacks to win 84 games this last season? Well, I, no. I mean, eh. it, was, it, it was – well, yeah, actually, it, it was hard for them to do it. But, but, what I'm, but what I'm saying is it's hard to make the playoffs in baseball and win, but you, you have to do that. You can't tell your fan base that we're all about contending for the World Series and not winning a playoff game, right? I mean, we've gone – we're five years past meaningful baseball in September. That doesn't mm-hmm. – that doesn't sell anymore. So, I, you know, I would just say that. I, If you are the Blue Jays' front office – I mean, I'll ask you guys. You look at these two guys right now. If you're the Blue Jays' front office uh, – and you're looking at this team right now. Does it do, do, do you see long-term success here? The minor league system's not that well, deep. Well, that's it. Like, even if you're thinking about re-signing Bo Bichette to you know, a million years, and then, like, well, it's, it, you know, Kevin Gossman is only under contract for two more years beyond his, or one more year beyond Bo Bichette's uh, uh, contract. Um, and then, yeah, I guess you got Jose Barrios for forever, and who knows what Alec Manoa is, if he's a valuable asset, mm-hmm. if he returns to, to, to his form, I guess it changes it a little bit there. But, yeah, it's not not like we're talking about a, a bunch of young players just, like, bursting to or, or about to, like, burst onto the scene that are just making a ton of noise at the minor league level. Yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> It almost feels like either way there's going to be have some sort of shift of, of this, this, this Blue Jays team. Yeah, listen, and, and, you know, I think, I mean, we talked about this year being the year. Guys, I think, I mean, I think last year was the year. You had, you, you had, a, you had the type of pitching that is supposed to win in the postseason. If you look at what the Jays did in terms of run prevention, if you look at their pitching, that's kind of, that's the pitching you need to be successful in the postseason, to get into the postseason and go on a run. And I don't, I don't know about you, but Kevin Gossman, Chris Bassett, 
I don't know. Can we count on them to pitch the same number of innings this year and have the same success they did this year? I mean, a lot, a lot went a lot went really, really smoothly for the Blue Jays last year. No, you know, I, I, it, I was, it really did. I was. And gonna, that's a scary thing to me. <laughs> no, I was going to ask you this question, but it fe- it feels so obvious, especially with yeah your your take on the offense progressing. I was like, oh well, what is more likely? The offense is the offense progresses from what they were a season ago with the same dudes, or the pitching stays as good? Like it seems pretty clear mm-hmm. like it's 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 less likely that the the offense progresses like the pitching you can't that was at about that was a, that was a one percent outcome for the pitching staff a season ago well and it's like even with Gosman like I don't want to I don't want to belabor the point too much and he definitely you know cleaned it up towards the tail end of the year but remember what he looked like coming out of that all-star break and he just wasn't quite the same guy and you know I'm not going to say well that's the version you're going to see you know in a, in a week or two here when when catcher, or pitchers and catchers report but like that to me of all these scary blue chase things is what exactly is Kevin Gosman at the top of the rotation? I don't have an issue on what he will be, but it's just the health factor. Like you said, the idea that he's taken it or he, he had the little blip coming out of the all-star break. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I always have this fear with, you know, slightly older players. The idea that once you have that little hiccup, does it start to kind of belabor things and bleed into something else? You have Barrios on this staff, but I don't know. Like I, I just, when I look at the, the, the idea of positive regression from the hitters, it's just as likely that we see negative. I'll throw one more thing. It's like, you know, I don't want to make Jordan Hicks to be the end of the world. But if this team goes to, if this team proves they need to, they'll go out and get bullpen help again. But they went and did that. And again, just to go back to your least parallels, mm-hmm. how many years can you go out and say, all right, we're going to push in because this is a team capable of doing so. And I know it wasn't the big sexy splash, but it's just, again, like they, they used some chips at, at the deadline last year. So I, I'm, I'm with you on the, the slight concerns for pitching there. Yeah, and I mean we haven't even we haven't even touched on what the other teams are doing in the division, you know, and and that's the like getting billion of, dollar ownership, that kind of thing. <laughs> getting oh, getting ownership with a brain, I mean more and and and, and motivated ownership, <laughs> you know. I mean this is you know someone I, I saw someone say, well, you know everybody everybody said that when the the New York Mets were bought that they were going to turn into this juggernaut and. Mm. And um, the the difference is the New York Mets young talent was nowhere, nowhere near as good as the Orioles young talent. I, the Orioles are going to be the, the Orioles are going to be the best team in this division for the next five years, you know, bar, barring something catastrophic. Uh, wait till Jackson Holiday gets up here. Like they're they're going to be the best team in this division for five years, and if they can go out and blow the doors off Garrett Cole in next year and, and get him to sign here or sign with them. Or sign one of the other pitchers, or go out and blow the doors off Juan Soto as a yep. finishing touch in that team. Eh, that's that's kind of the other the other X factor here when you look at where the Blue Jays are and you look at what everybody else is doing in the division. Maybe with the exception of the Red Sox, you know. I mean, we could spend an entire segment talking talking about that, but that is a factor because even with the wild card, it's going to be awfully hard for the fourth best team in the AL East to uh, consistently get into the get into the wild card. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Who knows though? Maybe we're, we're we're talking about Vlad having a 50 homer season and an OPS of a thousand. And maybe this will be the year we yeah. see the main feature, right? Yeah. Wasn't, was it when? When's the trailer? Uh, it's it's the longest running trailer yeah. I've ever seen, right? <laughs> I mean, I think the trailer was supposed to be two years ago. Well, it's and, like that uh, movie where like all the best scenes yeah, are in the trailer, and like it. you watch the movie <laughs> and you're like, right. where where's the oh oh I saw the, the yeah that was the I should have just watched the trailer like five consecutive times. <laughs> oh, it feels like it feels like we watched the crappy sequel without seeing the uh you know the hit movie right it's like star wars 20 or whatever 2021 play that season out get that get one more victory that season i would have seen i would have liked to seen that team in the postseason oh well absolutely (laughs) that's a shame uh jeff uh great job with bo of course and uh great job as always on blair and barker thanks for doing this thanks guys be well you too jeff blair blair and barker he was our insider brought to you by don valley north lexus where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I, uh, I do, it's my own fault because I did it. I brought up the negative. speaking, right? yes. Like, I don't want, Blue Jays are still good. They mm-hmm. won 89 games a season ago. They did. If you're a Yankees fan, you're probably laughing at this discourse. They won 82 games. They missed the playoffs. They're up the track mm-hmm. a season ago, and they were spending more than the Blue Jays on payroll and had higher expectations. And they, they didn't make the playoffs. So you can talk about relative disappointment. Yep. Yeah. Okay. They got so the sexy that in mind. guy, though. That's the difference, right? Sure. No no doubt. Juan Soto looks a lot different on, yeah, the, the Blue Jays look a lot different with Juan Soto. But, yeah, it's it's just for a team that hasn't succeeded in the postseason the way this team hasn't succeeded in the postseason, the way the 89 wins came together and the lack of additions made offensively mm-hmm. for this team, it's hard not to think about, well, okay, what's... Th- and especially considering the the timeline on these guys, it's hard, hard not to put your brain in that spot of thinking about, hey, could we be watching the window close on this era of Blue Jays baseball? Totally, totally. And again, like uh, you look at all the, the... Those are the two guys that are going to be the pillars and the pieces that have actually been holding this team up outside of Bichette. It's like they're only getting older. So, yeah, it'll be... Fascinating to see. Interesting, interesting season. Uh, we're all getting older. Uh, the, Every day. Yes. That's how it works. Yeah. No, no Benjamin Button's it. here. There's no stopping it. The NHL's transformation of Toronto for the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star this year includes the NHL Fanfare, four-day family-friendly event from February 1st to the 4th with interactive hockey games, special appearances by NHL players, and more. Visit Rogers and Sportsnet at the Fanfare to win awesome hockey prizes. Have your photo taken at the Sportsnet broadcast desk. And test the speed of your slap shot with the Rogers Hardest Shot Skills Competition. If you haven't already, be sure to secure your tickets at NHL.com slash fanfare while supplies last. When we come back, let's talk to a three-time Super Bowl champion, former linebacker for the New England Patriots, Matt Chatham. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. So it's uh, bye week before the Super Bowl. So you got to fill the void. Dodgeball week. Yeah. When you're not analyzing how the dodgeball game's going to go at the Pro Bowl, you have to fill the void with, yeah. Stuff that might not necessarily be, you know, the strongest as far as connecting the dots. Mm. And there's not a ton of evidence for some of the rumors that you hear. Yes. And the the, the one that I kept hearing multiple people, mm-hmm. and, and maybe, you know, maybe there's more to it than 
what I think even the insiders that were espousing it were mm-hmm. saying was that Andy Reid might at the conclusion of the Super Bowl say thanks, but no thanks. I'm out of here. Off into the sunset I go. And okay. into his chair would step Bill Belichick. <laughs> I, I don't know how much credence I, I, I lend to that. But, yeah, I feel like this is the week where you could hear more of that same stuff. Yeah, and uh, juicy, juicy Jets story coming out this morning with, yeah. like, 30 uh, unnamed sources in in there being quoted as uh, just seems like a uh, – this will shock anyone who is watching the Jets season unfold from the outside. It seems like a bit of a disaster mm. in New York. So, uh, yeah, good good season for, for scuttlebutt before Super Bowl week next week. All right, let's talk to our named source. It is uh, Matt Chatham, <laughs> uh, three-time Super Bowl champion linebacker for the New England Patriots. How's it going, Matt? Thanks for doing this. Thanks for great. Um, so, I, I mean, now that I brought up Bill, uh, Bill Belichick, let's start there then, I, I, yeah. I, I suppose. Um what do you see in his future? Because it does feel like despite those rumors surrounding Andy Reid and, and the Chiefs, and I guess the, the Jets are still a possibility. And you know what? Now the, the Ben Johnson staying in Detroit, maybe Washington is, is, a, is a possibility. If he sits out this coaching cycle, what, what do you see in his future? Yeah, as I was sort of doing a little surfing my, myself this morning, I saw an article talking about the Eagles and still a possibility somehow. I mean, it's just the point of it is you, you sort of wake each day and hear a new one, you know. So it's and I, I think that's that's what's going to happen when you're 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 the greatest coach of all time. Uh, it's just the the uniqueness of the situation can't be underscored enough. Um, I think the reason you know it, it I, I think owners who who are, are showing out gobs of money uh, to these coaches would want a little certainty about where things are going to be five and 10 years from now. I really don't think there are many coaches or many owners out there who hire coaches looking for a three or four or even five-year flip. I mean, even some of the more recent deals we've seen in this year's cycle, they're they're giving these guys six-year contracts, right? And they know they're paying them those six, even if they fire them at two or three. Uh, and, And I think that does play a factor, even when you're talking about the best of the best. Um, because of the age. So I, I, it's hard to imagine any owner, uh, you know, who's trying to sort of redirect and steer the direction of his organization to some other place, um, you know, not taking that into effect. And, and Bill is just, you know, a unique figure. He's a one-of-one in NFL history uh, because he runs virtually all of it, right? Uh, so finding the scenario that matches his want as much as some other organization back in his direction, and then finding an owner that's saying, okay, let's do this for two or three years, knowing that he's going to have to do it again, <laughs> you know, at that time. And, and is Bill bringing along with that staff, um, whomever he would, you know, bring with him a successor or, or is that organization going to have to do it all over? So it's a bit of a, a unique situation. I think that's what drives the uncertainty. Yeah, it certainly is a fascinating one. The the pie in the sky scenario, I, I was kind of hoping that I don't think ever was a possibility because I think Saban officially retired before before the end of the NFL season. But I would have loved a year where Saban was still running things at Alabama and Belichick had, I mean, for lack of a better term, nothing to do and just kind of went and hung out down there as like, you know, uh, uh, d- not a D coordinator. It'd be hard to ever envision Belichick in that role. Yeah. But we just know the universal respect between uh, the, the two of them there. Uh, switching to... Uh, football on the go at the moment, and not not uh, not Belichick not coaching a team next year. You, you've been you've been tweeting a ton through throughout the playoffs, throughout the regular season. Uh, we'll just start with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, 
Uh, a lot of people have been talking about the trajectory he's on, about the pace he's on. Uh, you played with a guy who was on a pretty good pace and then uh, backed it up with, uh, you know, just 20 more years of, of greatness. What are you made of all the talk about Mahomes? And, I, you know, I don't know that anyone's quite rushing to put him in the GOAT conversation, but I don't know that they're not either, Matt. Uh, what have you made of the way we've uh, talked about Mahomes this season? Well, I do know that they are, and and, and they is not like you know capital T. It's uh, there are enough major media figures that are ready to go there, and we'll tweet it out and run segments. and And part of it, I think, is just you know the outlandishness of the claim, uh, and it gets clicks and all, turn and all that kind of stuff. But I think for me, the the any criticism about that or any conversation about that has less to do with the person and just more with, to do with the impulse. Uh, and you have to kind of acknowledge the context around this. Tom was, uh, you know, someone who was overlooked a bit, you know, seen as sort of a product by a lot of the figures who are now talking, seen as sort of a product of the system, good but not great, you know, not winning MVP, but yes, winning the Super Bowl. We really respect him. He's an accumulator. You know, all the sort of we, you're good but derogatory kind of thing, especially tied to where he was originally drafted. And he's not a mobile guy, so that's some t- sort of a knock. So it did take a long, long time for people to finally come around and go, "Oh, dude, this guy's a ninja. He's he's as good as it gets. <laughs> this is this is this is doctorate level, you know, multiple doctorate level quarterbacking. This is uh, this is this is it." Um, and so I, I think for so many of those people, and many of whom were burned by him, quite frankly, as players, and then him walking past and just surgically taking them apart. And then happen to sit and live with that the rest of your life, it's tough. And then you get a media job, and it drives your opinion. It does. Because you want that sort of scorn to, you know, be satisfied, I guess, and have him replaced and feel good about finding someone else that you can talk over him. And I really do think that's a big part of it. I think it's a very fair analysis of, of how just sort of human psychology works. And Tommy is a guy who a lot, a lot of people are – eager to find someone to put above and that's not to to denigrate uh, Patrick Mahomes in any way um, he's a very good player he's great at times but you know some of this conversation came out of a week ago and this is what you're referring to that I was tweeting about yeah this I was mean, great the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs are the 15th scoring offense in the NFL this year no Brady offense even in the worst years was anywhere near that half that mm. <laughs> the 15th scoring offense with the Hall of Fame tight end uh, who's you know one of the best receiving guys at that position that's ever played, um, and the best play caller in football. I mean, Andy Reid is is renowned at this point for just being kind of a scheme play guy. A lot of the stuff takes place behind the line of scrimmage. A lot of the stuff takes place with no reads, just execute out the fake and turn and toss it to a short area. And oddly enough, um, you know, a lot of the the, perce- or, or the perception that followed Tom was that he was some sort of check down merchant. But thankfully now we have that next-gen stats and all that kind of stuff where you can actually hit charts where the ball's going. And A, that wasn't true. And D, the actual biggest uh, guy that plays that style is Patrick Mahomes. And that's okay. It's not a negative thing. I think Patrick's awesome and very entertaining to watch. But most of the old Tommy narratives uh, that were meant to denigrate him are actually true about Patrick, but then not now applied the same way. It's it's a pain in the ass. If that was my really long way to, way to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're playing to your audience because yeah, yeah. Brent is is you know he's a Patriots fan and he's been I felt attacking the straw man that people are putting Patrick Mahomes yeah, go, you tell, ahead You tell the Super Bowl Brady. champ that's a straw man. Because I, I, I think I'm a neutral <laughs> observer here, okay, Matt? I, I'm just taking it as it comes. And here's what I said yesterday. Yeah. 
is that Brady, even if he gets to seven Super Bowls, Mahomes, Brady gets the edge because, like, they actually did cross over twice and they handed it to <laughs> yeah, him, yeah. right? Like, so yeah. you got to get, like, at least eight. But, like, like, let's not go nuts here. And, yes, he, uh, certainly against the Ravens, he had to check it down a bunch. Scored no points in the second half as well. And no doubt this is the best defense that he's ever had as the, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. But, come on, like, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a, a fourth Super Bowl appearance, potentially a third win every single season in an AFC championship game. And Brady also had uh, three victories through his first six seasons, but he had the missed uh, playoffs there in the middle. Like, it is like, come on, the conversation can start to be had if he wins another one in two weeks' time. I would say in two weeks' time we can we can laud him for progress. But <laughs> progress has nothing to do with, you know, the final assessment. And I think that it's more, again, I think it's just like a human thing, like eager to, to jump to conclusions, right? And, and this is all he could possibly do at this stage is have an equal uh, you know, performance through that through that range, but the the reality of the situation is a lot of stuff that Tom did was in same sequences superior in his forties for goodness sake, right? Yeah, that's so I, I just think here's the rea- the reality of it is Patrick's awesome. Let him have his career, man. Like we'll talk about it when he's done. I, I just it drives me nuts trying to sort of elevate coronate early, and that's more about it. It has nothing to do with Pat or even Tom. It's just when you. I think it's because I think it's disrespectful. I think at the end of the day, when someone's put together 20 plus years of that and, and you're willing to start, oh, but here comes the next hot thing at six and seven years and you want to make it similar, it's not. And so let's just pause. And it's, I know it's hard to do. I, I obviously work Especially when you're a radio host. I have yeah. to make content myself. Yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, you want to you go there, but it's just not fair. And, and the reality of the situation is, Pakistan out there throwing for four and five hundred yards. They're not putting up thirty points a game. If there was something that was clearly, clearly by performance superior, okay, maybe we should be having a conversation. But this ain't that. Seventeen points? Are you kidding me? I mean, Brady had losses. <laughs> Brady had losses. A loss in a Super Bowl, throwing for five hundred. Yeah. I mean, come no, on. I like this is Nick Foles out doing it. Of course. God, I I just got to say, Matt, it's, you know, Ben and I, like we have our arguments. It's not very often somebody gets to point to the Super Bowl champ and say, but I was right because he came on the show and agreed with me. But I'm so happy that you did come on the show and agree with me. I want to ask you about the other guy you were were tweeting about on Sunday and people now people have done these Brady comparisons, very tongue in cheek, but Brock Purdy. Mr. Irrelevant, Mr. Game Manager, where are you at on him? I mean, everybody who's doing the Brady comparisons with this, it's just like, ah, unheralded guy comes out of nowhere. What is he really? I'll ask you, what is he really? What what do you see him from Brock Purdy? And maybe a better question is, how high is his ceiling? Because I think we think of him as, okay, this is a high floor guy, but how much is there to to his high-end ability if, if he needs to access it? It'll be as good as he performs, and I, and I keep coming back to that because it, it does drive me nuts that style points seem to sort of weigh in a lot of people's minds when they when they make these sort of characterizations. And Brock is not super sexy, but you you know as far as just you know how running people and breaking ankles and things like that and ripping it you know underhanded seventy five yards that's not him, but he's super efficient and ultimately that's what wins games. He does need to protect the football. He does have sort of bouts of that where it's not perfect, but. I think one thing that most former players would tell you is, um, and we know this, and, 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 and trust me, it grinds the gears of a lot of guys that weren't drafted high that had long careers. Where you come in, 
paints people's perception of you until you die. <laughs> and, it, and it tends to be not even based upon what you accomplished. But Brock Purdy, no matter what he does, will always be referred to as that Mr. Irrelevant. He may get a championship this you know, upcoming weekend. He may have a great year with a bunch of Pro Bowls and maybe even some All-Pros. But he'll always be referred to based upon what the perception was as he entered and that he was somehow overcoming that because of some sort of physical limitation. And the reality is he came from Iowa State. It wasn't a high-flying right. offense. I mean, there's, there's questions about how you enter. In Tom's situation, from going back to Brady, I mean, he shared the job, you know, even with Brian greasy back in those days so it's it's you know you get where the the uncertainty about them are as entrants but once they get in you know i mean brock had several scrambles in that nfc championship game mm-hmm. that were kind of a homesish looking place right yeah and his hit guard as far as spreading the field down the field was way better than most for that particular day but i just think it's again it's more of a psychological study and how people evaluate it you could have taken and i did this on twitter just to kind of screw with people taken that mahomes hit chart from the afc championship game yes. and superimpose uh you know brock over it and i i tell you the narrative of how one would explain what had happened and how he did it would be different if you thought it was the other person and that's i don't know brock is a really good football player hard stop yeah uh, and you know what? He's he's won every single playoff game that he's finished, right? Like the, the only quarterback loss he has was in that NFC Championship game where he went out uh, with the injury and, and had to have the surgery. Um, so he might have the thing I'm about to talk about, like that magic pixie dust that, you know, and people point to the hinge moments in Tom Brady's career and, and the... You know, the snow game against the, the Raiders and like multiple different, you know, and even the 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 offside and the overtime against the Chiefs and, and one of those two matchups against Patrick Mahomes is going his way. But like sometimes when you're just when you're a winner, like those things just happen to you. And they didn't happen all the time. You rightly point out the, the Nick Foles Super Bowl. But w- when you're playing on the defensive side of that thing, when you got it, when you have a chance to watch that guy like you did watching Tom Brady. What does it feel like, and, and how does it impact your, your confidence when you take the field, knowing that you have the guy that it feels like is, like, ordained by God to, to, to just win football games? <laughs> well, I, I think in, in candor and fairness, I think when you're, when you're facing the Niners and the Chiefs at this juncture, too, uh, really, uh, you got to defend the whole thing, right? So if you come in and sort of let's, you know, let's talk quarterback narrative in a defensive meeting room in the NFL, it ain't going that way, right? I mean, there's the catch and run with Debo Samuel. There's, there's, you know, knowing where George Kittle is because the run game is going to follow him and he's a monster. And in, in bouts, Brock will lean on him for seven or eight targets and a half and then not even target him in other portions of the game. I, you know, I mean, we've seen him with all these sort of big-time plays. He's just sort of a shot guy that can kind of change the game for them. And the offensive line is spectacular. So I would imagine if you're in that defensive meeting room, you're studying these guys and just amazed at how balanced they are and how well-built that roster is. And with the Chiefs on the other side, I think, you know, Pacheco is so fun to watch. I mean, he's just like sort of a that, you know, bouncing ball of butcher knives kind of, kind of running back. It's just kind of fun to watch. His legs just keep moving, and he gets – fall forward yards every single time and a tight end for some reason Kelsey's open every single play <laughs> so you know you can we can talk about quarterbacks and I, I, I kind of get that and that there's some sort of preordained destination for them but uh, I really just think the one that ends up having the smartest game you know this neither I, I believe it's the second rated and third rated defenses in the NFL facing off against one another and we don't often get that in Super Bowls where 
it's really the virtual best of the best on that other side of the ball, uh, you know, in the game. And it's a relatively middle-of-the-road Chiefs offense, uh, but the Niners' offense was near the top. So, and But their their best performances are driven on protecting the football. If it happens to be a Purdy game where he puts one on the ground, you know, from a sack or a fumble of some sort or an interception, then that does flip stuff. So protect the football, run the heck out of it, and, uh, you know, I, I think it'll be actually pretty even keel. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, I can't wait for it, and it'll be a fun week to uh, to talk about it. Uh, something that's been talked about a lot is uh, Tom Brady, and no, not not just the legacy stuff with Mahomes, like we were getting into, but he's going to start talking about football. Uh, he's going to be in the booth next year. Do you have any insight, expectations of how that'll go? I mean, you know, you obviously know him a little personally, having played with them. I think people have an image of Brady. What do you think people will get when they when they see him on the booth? What are what are your expectations for him? Yeah, we have like a really wide range of quarterbacks who do the booth job and the way they do it. And, you know, of course, I know what Tom's like in conversation. I know what he's like in, you know, just hanging out as dudes. Um, you know, I know what he's like in a team meeting room. You're sort of talking through what he's seen. When the bright light comes on and you decide, because you can take it any number of ways. You're looking at a play and you can keep it vague and vanilla. You can do the Romo thing and try to predict each play. You can be kind of goofy and joke with, you know, as Romo does with Jim all the time. And, you know, Tom has that in his personality. But what I'm getting at is you can kind of take the broadcast any number of ways. And, again, it's how you react to the bright light. You know, does Tom just want to be nuts and bolts? Uh, Does he want to spend time during dead play, you know, sharing antidotes, (laughs) you know? Or does he want to be real technical? And, And he can actually do all of that. Um, but you kind of don't know how a guy reacts until that light comes on. So um, I think he'll be great. Um, I, I don't know what style he'll choose, and I, he, you know he's obviously done some some uh, test test shots with these guys, and they got a sense of how he can handle it. I mean, it's not just you know buying the Tom Brady name; it's testing how he'll be on air and knowing that whew, he's good at this. Um, but it's going to be fun. We'll, we'll we'll all be looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm done doubting Tom Brady. So yeah, I, I think he'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> At least in a conversation with you, that's for sure, Matt. Yeah, no uh, doubting from him now. Uh, <laughs> Matt, uh, tell us about uh, Rub Smoke Love, uh, the the company that you're a founder owner of. So I'm the barbecue rub company. Uh, we have a couple big ones uh, called uh, Gold Bark is our chicken, pork, and fish, and Beefcake is this really great steak rub with coffee and a sort of an herb bouquet. It's a little different. Um, I'm actually heading down to the Super Bowl uh, here in Vegas for the NFL's culinary kickoff, and they're featuring some of my stuff, and uh, chefs mm. are making it's sort of like a chopped kind of feel, sort of taking my stuff from the basket and making a unique meal for a bunch of uh, former players and investors and things like that. So cool thing going on. Yeah, so check out rubsmokeglove.com. That's where my stuff is sold. And we're in, I don't know, 200-ish stores uh, around uh, more America than Canada. Sorry, guys, but mm. uh, we'd love to get up there soon. <laughs> yeah, we're close to the border. No worries. We, 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 we can make the 40-minute <laughs> drive. It's fine. Uh, Matt, this is great. Uh, thanks so much for this. Appreciate it. All right, take care, guys. You too. Matt Chatham, three-time Super Bowl champion, linebacker for the New England Patriots, and also destroyer of straw men. A defender of Brent Gunning's takes. I uh, The stuff he was tweeting about Mahomes and Purdy and the spray charts from their throw, that is what I saw. Oh, I mean, it, it, it's so, that him. is so true. That I, is 100% true. Yeah, it is. I I just, I I love having somebody who has the bona fides on my side. And you're right. Like, is it a bit of straw man? Yeah, but I also think there is some people, he, what he said is true, that there is always going to be a subsect of people who are excited to rush to the new thing before it's quite fully baked yet. And not to say Mahomes isn't fully baked as a great quarterback, but he mm-hmm. certainly isn't as the greatest. 
Sure. Where I get my back up a little bit. It's like, oh, they had the 15th best scoring offense in yeah. the NFL. Yeah. Sure. Okay. And and they had the highest drop percentage of any team in the NFL. Okay. And what are we we're saying that like that's because Patrick Mahomes didn't have a great season. He didn't have a great season, but come on. Like we've we've seen this guy at his best, clearly. Yeah, and for with sure. weapons he can get it done. And even without weapons, it appears that he's capable of getting it done against the number one scoring defense in the NFL oh, a season ago. Who were choker frauds, though. Yeah, but the, also that. Like, okay. multiple things can be true. <laughs> You're right. A lot of things can be true. I just, I'm I'm happy we got him on. I have, I all kidding aside, I really like his football stuff and acumen, and he agrees with me. So, yeah. great job by him. Well done, and I, I'm sure his uh, barbecue stuff is delicious. Again, rub, smoke, love. I did get hungry home. when he was described. Yeah, this is the point in the show where I'm ready to devour a bunch of food. So, maybe you're I'll just, go do that. You're just a chicken, like, talking to me right now. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. In the fan morning show, Ben Adams, Frank Gunning, Sports Night 5 Night of the Fan. Good morning.